A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. I can't tell you how hard it's been uh, all that time, you know. It doesn't seem to be getting much uh, better. Uh, it's... Uh, something really hard when you uh, lose your mom in such a way it's uh i feel like such a failure that i was not able to protect her and you know i always had that same you know the last time i saw her she was in the window waving at me and that's the only picture that i have of her and I wish I could make it right. You know, it's, I've done everything I could. I kept on going, uh, as, you know, as long as I had vacation or weekends, I was going back to Peterborough, back and forth from Mississauga, and I would spend my days searching, and, you know, sometimes I'd have some friends helping me, but most of the time I was alone. And uh, just looking at one point, you know, everything just seems like it's all the same, you know, because it's just, you're just seeing trees and trails and you never know, you know, if you're walking a hundred feet and maybe you turn around and you were just three feet from, you know, where she's at and you never know where to start and where to stop and you know, looking for uh, a needle in a haystack would be much easier because you know where to where to look for. But now I've got thousands of square miles to to look at, and you know I don't know if she's in the water, if she's been buried, if she's out in the open. I have no clue. You know. On the evening of November twelfth. 2014, a 74-year-old woman made her way home from her shift at the local Walmart. When she arrived in her driveway, she was brutally attacked and murdered by a 79-year-old man named Andrew Watson. Andrew Watson was known to the police because Andrew Watson had been stalking the woman for years. After a trial that resembled a circus, filled with theatrics and pretend illnesses, a judge found Andrew Watson guilty 
of first-degree murder. But to this day, the monster who is Andrew Watson refuses to tell the woman's grieving family where her body is. This is the murder of Lise Fredette. And this is True North, True Crime. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of True North, True Crime. Thanks for joining us. As usual, we want to thank everyone who bought us coffee for this week's episode. So a big thank you to Terry B., Sabrina, Jill, Kate, an anonymous donor, and of course, Jonathan Blankus. True North, True Crime is a self-funded and independent podcast bringing awareness to missing people and victims of violent crime in Canada. If you would like to donate to the podcast, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash tntcpod. It can be a one-time donation, or you can choose the $5 a month option. If you choose the member option, we'll read your name out at the end of every episode as an honorary producer of our podcast. If merchandise is more your thing, you can pick up some sweet True North True Crime merch at our Tee Public store. We will link that in our show notes. And lastly, we just want to say thank you to you all for continuing to listen to the podcast. We have heard from many of you over the last year since we began, and we really are lucky to have such cool, compassionate, and engaged listeners. So from both of us, we just want to say thanks. Let's get into tonight's episode. Tonight we are talking about the brutal murder of 74-year-old Lise Fredette. Evidence shows that Lise was murdered in front of her Peterborough, Ontario home on November 12, 2014. However, her body has never been found. Lise's family continue to fight to this day to bring her home, so that they can have much-needed closure and lay her to rest with dignity. But the monster who killed her refuses to help in any way. We put this episode together using publicly available news articles, including some amazing journalism by Jessica Nesnik, Todd Van Donk, and Frederick Pepin. These three journalists were also very supportive and respectful of the family who went through this terrible event. We are grateful that we had a chance to speak with Lise's son, Stefan Leclerc, who agreed to have his interview with us included in this episode. So this case takes place in Peterborough, Ontario. Peterborough is a city of about 125,000 people and is located to the east of Toronto. The city sits geographically on the traditional Michisagig Nishnabeg territory, which is also called Nogojiwanog, which is the Anishinaabe word for place at the end of the rapids. Peterborough is sort of a bedroom community of eastern Toronto and Oshawa. It is also the gateway to what some Canadians would know as cottage country. Up until recently, companies like Quaker Oats, General Electric, and other manufacturers employed the people of Peterborough. Crime-wise, Peterborough is a safe place to live with a fluctuating crime rate. Although 2020 saw a rapid spike in crime, probably due to the pandemic and the unemployment that has hit the country. Lise Fredette was originally from Sherbrooke, Quebec. She had two kids with her former husband. They split up in 1977, but the relationship was amicable. Eventually, Lise moved to Peterborough and started a life there. 
So in 2014, Lise Fredette was a 74-year-old woman living on her own on Bensort Road in southern Peterborough. Lise worked at the local Walmart on Chemong Road. Lise had a close relationship with her two adult children, Stefan and Natalie. Her daughter Natalie describes Lise's home as welcoming, happy, and a comforting place. The family often enjoyed dinners together and seemed quite close and loving. We asked her son, Stefan, what his mother was like. Uh, well, geez, my mom, she was uh, just, uh, you know, uh, well, she was a great mom. She uh, really, we've never uh, went without, you know, uh, whenever, you know, we were not rich uh, growing up. And uh, whenever there was some, I was, you know, involved in all the sports and, uh, uh, you know, if there was some trip or if there was anything, you know, my mom was always making sure that, uh, you know, we wouldn't uh, uh, go without anything, you know, so, and she was always involved. Um, You know, I remember when I was going to school or uh, in hockey or, uh, in sports, you know, she would always get involved and volunteer and, you know, be part of the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, organization uh, uh, committee, organizational uh, committees, and uh, just, you know, uh, doing it for free just to uh, know what's going on. And, you know, so uh, uh, she did. And even, you know, when uh, at the dance where that's where she met that guy, uh, she was volunteering and, you know, just taking care, getting the, the food ready and serving people, that kind of stuff. So she was always involved in, uh, you know, um, all these uh, things, you know, uh, with different committees and uh, volunteering. And uh, so she just loved to take care of people. She was, uh, you know, she always liked to put up some kind of a wall to don't just to make herself appear a bit tougher than she was but she was always very sensitive and uh and caring and that's something that i uh you know that i always remember from from my mom to this day natalie and stefan are fierce advocates for their mother in 2011 when lise was 71 she volunteered at a local dance where she met a man who was also in his 70s named andrew watson the two hit it off and began seeing one another they dated on and off for about two years. Andrew Watson, who goes by Andy, moved to Canada from Edinburgh, Scotland in 1967. His move to Canada seemed very fast and out of character for the seemingly meek and unadventurous man. This move also corresponded with the sudden disappearance of his brother, Frank. In later conversations with Andrew Watson, he refuses to speak about his brother, but he does shower praise on his sister. Investigations into his brother's disappearance have proved fruitless. Andrew Watson worked as a mailroom clerk for the Department of Natural Resources, a job that he would eventually retire from. Eventually, Andrew Watson would move to Peterborough when he retired. He lived there from the late 90s up until he met Lise in 2011. So Lise Fredette and Andrew Watson began dating one another. And at first, it seemed that the relationship was going well. But then things began to sour. Andrew Watson was a jealous man, and he would fly into a huff and stop communicating with Lise, only to come back to her, begging for her to take him back. Stefan believes that Andrew lacked the emotional fortitude of a mature adult. Well, they were having some, uh, you know, uh, argument, and sometimes I think, you know, fuck, is he ever, you know... uh, 
uh, childish, but I thought, well, he's old and maybe, you know, he's, well, my mom was calling him the bachelor because he was apparently single for a long time. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, being single all these years, uh, you know, uh, that's how people at that age react and they just uh, become childish. But I never thought that, you know, crazy, that it was not childish, but it was crazy and violent and aggressive. Uh, to my knowledge, he never attacked my mom. And I can only imagine that she would have told me, but she never said that he was uh, aggressive or violent with her. So Andrew Watson would seem to throw these fits and then ask Lee's to take him back. This happened a few times over the years that they knew one another. Eventually, in April 2014, Lees made it clear, again, that she was not interested in pursuing any kind of relationship with Andrew Watson. This is when Andrew began to stalk and harass Lees. Andrew would leave vulgar and threatening letters in her mailbox and watch her house from the cemetery across the street. Some of those letters would include the times she went to bed, stating, I am writing to you because I'm very worried about you going to bed at 1 a.m. When Lee started seeing a new man named Ben, she received more letters from Andrew Watson, including one where he stated, quote, I keep wondering how you can have sex with someone you don't love. Perhaps you should sit down and consider how you're going to pay for this lifestyle. We asked a fan if there were any early signs that would have led him to believe that Andrew Watson was a danger to his mother. And then eventually she met uh, this guy, Watson. And, uh, you know, I didn't think I was, you know, I'd go and visit my mom on, my, on some weekends and, you know, he was there and I'd get there and he always, you know, got up and uh, shook my hand and he was smiling. We would talk and he never seemed... Uh, you know, always acted normal. And he seems like he uh, cared about my, my, my mom. They went uh, on trips, you know, when one time in uh, Brandon, uh, Missouri. And uh, so they did stuff together and things uh, seems to be uh, going well. But eventually they had a, uh, 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 an argument and then he just left and didn't give her uh, any news for months. And uh, so uh, after several months, you know, I think she met someone at the dancers. And uh, then that's, you know, she was uh, seeing this uh, other person. And then he came back in the picture and wanted to resume. And my mom eventually, you know, decided to, uh, okay, resume the relationship. And that lasted a little bit. But then eventually, you know, there was another argument and he took off uh, like this. And uh, the second time he was trying to come back and she said, no, I can't trust you. And and plus at the time, because he was, you know, uh, stalking her and uh, stuff. So she was in contact with the uh, Peterborough police and they uh, told her, you know, if, you know, uh, if he uh, makes, you know, if he wants to come back, just tell her, tell him, uh, no, there's no way and be clear. And that's exactly what she did. You know, she was very uh, clear about, not wanting to, because uh, at that time she had met uh, somebody else the second time from the dance also. And uh, so she didn't want to resume the uh, relationship. And uh, and I remember she uh, told me on a couple of occasions, he uh, asked her, you know, if that guy, Ben, the name you know, his name was, wasn't in the picture, would uh, we have chances of uh, getting back together? 
And she told them, no, even if he wouldn't be uh, in the picture, uh, there was no chance. And I think that's when, you know, I think he would probably have went after Ben if there would have been a chance. But now by telling your, him that there was no chance, uh, that's probably when he decided to, uh, you know, do what he uh, did, you know. You know, well, you know, you, you're, you're thinking about all these uh, things, you know, they, they just keep on uh, coming back in your mind, huh? Uh, you know, all these uh, conversations that I have with my moms, they they just keep popping back. And, you know, uh, I could be wrong, but I think it's that's probably uh, the time where he decided to, uh, you know, if I can't ever, nobody will. So eventually, Lees would go to the Peterborough Police Department to report Andrew Watson for harassing behavior. The local cops did take this situation seriously and told Andrew Watson to leave her alone. But the letter still came. Andrew Watson was asked by police to stay off of her street or be arrested, but he continued to harass her. In fact, he showed up on her property on her birthday in October of 2014, allegedly to tell her he was dating someone who lived on her street. So he asked her not to call the police if she saw him on the street that she lived on. Unreal. On the evening of November 12, 2014, Lise Fredette finished her shift at Walmart at 8.30 p.m. She made her way home in her SUV. She had to work the morning shift the next day, so she would have been excited to get home and relax. Usually on Wednesday evenings when she worked late, her new boyfriend, Ben, would meet her at her house to make sure she got home okay. The two would order a pizza and wind down for the night. There is no evidence that Ben was there that night, and as of now, Ben has never said if he was there or saw anything that night. Lise pulled up into her driveway and got out of her car. In her hand, she was carrying her purse and her front door key. The first thing she would have noticed was that her motion detector light did not light up when she got out of her car. It had been unscrewed by Andrew Watson. As Lise made her way to the front door, she was attacked by Andrew Watson, wielding a shovel over his head and bringing it down like an axe onto the 74-year-old woman. What I think uh, happened, okay, uh, and I've always had my suspicion because uh, now you have to know that uh, this happened on a Friday, on a Wednesday night. On Wednesday, Wednesday night, my mom was always working late at Walmart. And uh, so she would come home and uh, she'd pick up, you know, uh, uh, order some pizza. And that guy, Ben, would come and they'd have pizza together on these uh, Wednesday night, you know. So my mom came back as usual on that Wednesday night. And uh, I guess, well, you know, obviously uh, Watson was already waiting for her. And she had a light outside light, okay, with a uh, motion detector. So when somebody was uh, walking in the driveway or if she'd back up, the light would come up, come on. But that night that uh, the light bulb was, uh, you know, unscrewed uh, a little. And and that was also part of the evidence where uh, there was some tracks, you know, uh, uh, foot, well, uh, shoe print in the dirt right underneath that light and that was uh, the pattern it was uh, well the uh, the the uh, detective uh, described it as uh, you know a fishbone pattern if i remember well and when he went to cuz the uh, when the uh, 
went to uh, search his place. They uh, had to put him up in a uh, uh, hotel in uh, Peterborough. And one of that was same uh, detectives went to see him one time at the uh, motel. And he said that uh, he had these very same uh, uh, slippers that day when he uh, went. And it was the same pattern that the one that was in the in the dirt underneath when he uh, unscrewed the uh, the light bulb and so he was waiting for her to come come in probably hiding behind the uh, the, the cedar trees right behind her car so he came out of this when she came out of her car she didn't have time to uh, unlock the door or you know get inside because if she would have been able to put the key in the um uh in the um in the door handle to unlock the door, there's uh, an alarm system that's really loud and it just beeps very loudly. And there's uh, one of the, uh, those um, like speaker outside. So the uh, well, of course, it's an alarm system, so it's gonna you know go off outside. But it's really uh, so it would have alerted the whole neighborhood. But she didn't have time to uh, unlock the door, right? So uh, that's when he attacked her. And uh, so there was blood in front of the car. So I think she probably tried to escape and she fell in front of the, uh, the car. And then he just, you know, dragged her back into uh, uh, behind the, uh, the truck. And because there was some, uh, well, her uh, 4x4 or uh, RAV4. So there was blood on the, uh, on the truck and right uh, behind the, uh, the, the truck where he, you know, left her. After murdering Lise for dead. Andrew Watson wrapped her body into tarps and left the scene of the crime. Only Andrew Watson knows where he disposed of her body. Andrew Watson then went home, where he attempted to clean up his crime. But it seems he got tired in the middle of cleaning and went to bed, because the evidence at his home and in his Subaru was overwhelming. He ended up, you know, having uh, some uh, uh, some tarps, and he just ended up behind, uh, you know, laying the, uh, the, uh, the tarps in the backyard, and he just dragged her, put her uh, on the, uh, the tarps, rolled her in the uh, tarps, and carried her uh, in his truck. Because there was uh, blood in the back, well, in the back of the, because uh, he had a uh, Subaru. So there was blood in the, in the back. There was some uh, of her blood on the, uh, where the um, the door, you know, uh, on the door frame, but most importantly, and that's something that you know, uh, I don't know if you've read the reviews on that book, you know, Rough uh, Justice in Ontario, but a lot of people are just referring, you know, there's no body, so he should not have been convicted, and this and that, just you know, which makes no sense because they were not in court, so there was plenty of evidence. But the thing is that, you know, his blood was mixed with my mom's blood on the shifter of his uh, own truck and on the steering wheel, you know. And also something that's quite interesting is that when he attacked my mom, he ended up cutting his uh, hand. Uh, you know, uh, he had a deep cut on his hand and one of uh, one drop of blood ended up falling right beside my mom's truck, you know, uh, SUV. Uh, and that was fresh blood. So they were, the detectives were, you know, took some samples and they took the sample of that blood and they were able to match it. And if I remember well, it was one in 20, 26 quadrillion 
chances that it was so basically that was placing him on uh, in my mom's driveway that night you know because there was a first blood and the uh, detective that showed up at his uh, place the next day did notice that there was a cut on his hand as well at the time for some reason they didn't take any pictures but the uh, the detectives mentioned it and uh, another thing so basically now that we're uh, talking about this uh, you know some people uh, saying that because there was no uh, body he should, he should not have been convicted uh, there's pictures that I've got and if you want I'll send them to you uh, pictures of that blood you know uh, uh, his blood next to my mom's truck and there's also uh, the shovel you know and you can see the pattern where because he ended up uh, going home kept the uh, shovel and he placed it in a, b a bucket of bleach and where there's some blood it's all rusted and you can see that he was more than likely that he used the uh, the shovel as uh, like an axe and it's an old shovel so it's uh, very rough and there's plenty and plus you know in the frenzy you know uh, in the moment it's not uncommon people do uh, cut themselves even the, it does not need to, uh, to be a knife but that there's a lot of sharp, uh, you know, edges on that shovel. And uh, so that's how he managed to cut himself, uh, basically, because there was his blood, you know, all over his uh, truck, but mixed with my mom's blood on the shifter and on the uh, steering wheel. Now, when he came back that night, which was apparently around quarter to uh, 12, quarter to midnight, uh, he did some cleaning, but... Uh, and I'm guessing that he was probably expecting to do more in uh, during the daytime, but the cops had showed up by then, so the, he didn't have time to finish the, uh, the cleaning. So he did some cleaning late at night in the middle of the night, but he didn't have time to uh, finish up the uh, his uh, the, the cleaning the next day, right? The next morning, Lise Fredette did not show up to her shift at Walmart. This was not like her. Her coworkers started calling around to see if she was okay. They also called her daughter, Natalie. That's right. Yeah, so Walmart ended up calling around and they called uh, Natalie. And that's uh, when they said that she didn't show up for work that day. So she tried to call and she called me also. So I was trying to call my mom and uh, there was no answer. And so she went to my mom's place and realized that she never got inside the house that that night and her car was in the driveway and there was blood all over the place so that's when they ended up calling the the police and the police showed up and uh by the time i showed up it was like 11 o'clock in the morning so uh but she was reported uh missing around nine the police would show up to lisa's home city police found lisa's glasses her key and her earring next to her car parked in her driveway there were two pools of blood found in the driveway that belonged to Lee's. And there was also a drop of fresh blood that belonged to Andrew Watson. On the side of her car was also blood evidence. Police did not find Lee's soft-shell lunch bag or her purse. We asked Stefan to tell us about that day and to tell us what led the police to zero in on Andrew Watson. My mom went back to uh, the uh, police uh, station several times because she was having so much time. He would leave, uh, you know, uh, threatening uh, letters and, uh, you know, harassment letters, and, uh, uh, and he would uh, surveil her from uh, across the street from the, uh, there's a cemetery. So he would park there and... Uh, 
So my mom went several times back to uh, the uh, police station to uh, report the uh, the stalking. So she did. They he was all and the cops went to us at least once. But uh, I was asking that they would go a second time because he basically didn't care about. You know, they were telling him to stay away. So um, from my mom. So they went. I know for sure one time and. They were supposed to go another time in September as well, and uh, so the the uh, the police, Peterborough police, were already uh, quite aware of what was going on and uh, of uh, of Andrew Watson. Yeah, so it didn't take too long. The following morning, when uh, uh, we can find my mom, uh, they went to uh, to his place right away. You know, and so I came from Mississauga when. You know, I couldn't get a hold of my mom, and at the time I was, I kept on trying to call uh, Ben, uh, the, the the guy, you know, the, the the guy that she was seeing, and I kept on trying to uh, call, and he would not pick up. So finally, after that, I ended up driving to uh, Peterborough. I went to my mom's place, but the 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 uh, they already already had a parameter, so I stayed there. The not much that I could. Uh, Get. So I went, I drove to uh, uh, Watson's place at the time, and they, uh, they already had two uh, police officers uh, talking to him outside. And uh, so when I got there, I got out of my car, and then he was quite afraid of me. So he uh, told them to uh, keep me away because uh, he was afraid that I'd beat him up. But there was another uh, policeman that just came out and, you know, uh, asking to stay with them, so, which I did. And uh, I was just paying attention, but I couldn't hear anything that they were saying. Uh, they were outside, but uh, at one point he went inside, came out, and he had a uh, book that he was trying to um, give them. And uh, I could only see the uh, the side of the book. I couldn't see the uh, the uh, the cover, but came to find out during the trial that it was the uh, innocent man. Uh, from, uh, I forget the name of the author right now, but uh, it's uh, a very popular book. Like, you know, uh, he was trying to give that to uh, the cops, but the cops, you know, were with their signing with their hands that they don't want the, uh, the, to take anything. So we basically he had to keep his book. Like that would have made a difference, you know. So the police knew immediately that Andrew Watson was the man responsible for killing Lee's. They arrived at his home on Thursday, November 13th, and began searching his home and his Subaru. Inside the car, they found evidence of Lisa's blood mixed with Andrew's blood on the steering wheel and on the shifter. At the rear of his car, they found Lisa's blood outside of the trunk area and on the underside of the car. Inside Andrew Watson's home, they found a shovel sitting in a bucket of bleach. There was blood evidence on the shovel blade and the shovel handle. There was also a fresh wound on Andrew Watson's hand. The slippers he was wearing had the same herringbone pattern that police found in footprints in the garden below the motion detector spotlight that had been disabled at Lisa's home. Meanwhile, Stefan, his sister Natalie, and the community searched frantically to find Lise for dead. On November 22, 2014, just nine days after Lise was reported missing, Andrew Watson would be arrested for the first-degree murder of Lise Fredette. On November 22nd, Andrew Watson was interviewed by police for three and a half hours. This interview, in its entirety, 
is available to watch on YouTube. In this interview, Andrew Watson enjoys a Big Mac meal as he casually converses with the detective. He also complains that his jail cell is uncomfortable and that it wasn't a nice place to sleep. Over and over again, he is presented with the evidence but denies any involvement in Lee's Fredette's murder. It is also quite clear that he believes that without a body, he will not be convicted. Near the end of the interview, he refuses to answer any of the detective's questions and attempts to end the interview multiple times. Here is a clip from that interview. I cannot, I cannot answer any more questions at all. But you can. You absolutely can because you can make up your own I mind. No, the lawyer told me not even to speak to you. But I didn't. The kind of guy I am, I don't mind speaking to you. You've been a gentleman. So this evidence no, supports the allegations. There's no point in us talking anymore about this. I don't know why you would even bother talking to me. Because I would like her body back. <sighs> That's why. You know that. That's logical. Anyway, it's nice talking to you. And no doubt you're willing to talk to me again. We're not done right now. Well, we're not done right now. No. Well, I just told you I don't want to answer any more questions. That's fine. That's fine. You can listen. I'm allowed to talk. Maybe you came home and found her in the driveway because somebody else knocked her out and you panicked and you thought, I need to get rid of the remains. Whatever spin maybe, you want to put on it, let's it go get a, her. Maybe it was a home invasion. Maybe. You okay, okay. Good for you. You've got it all wrapped up. Why do you keep going on? Because I would like to bring... Lee's well, bring, bring her back or whatever, do whatever you like, just don't involve me. The lawyer told me not to even talk to you. I should have been talking to you all this time. you responsible for this. talking to you. Can you not understand that? I don't want to talk to you anymore. So clearly the police were not going to get a confession out of Andrew Watson. Let's get into the trial after a quick word from our sponsors. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And we are back. Andrew Watson's trial for the first-degree murder of Lise Fredette would begin in March of 2017. At first, he chose to represent himself, 
This resulted in endless delays and frustration, not only for Lisa's family, but also the judges and the prosecutors. Eventually, Andrew would be given a lawyer. Indeed, yeah. Well, he had one lawyer, but he never uh, paid her or anything, so he ended up representing himself. And uh, eventually, he ended up getting uh, a lawyer. And... uh, and that's how it uh, came about, yeah, uh, the, this guy that was uh, representing him. The, the judges were uh, great, you know, because they did everything. Sometimes it was painful and frustrating because you're thinking, you know, this guy's got more uh, right than we do and, uh, you know, that, that my mom, mom has. Uh, but they were just covering all their bases to make sure that he wouldn't be able to come out and uh, appeal, you know. And uh, so he always had, like, uh, uh, a lawyer on standby to uh, consult and uh, you know and every time that he was making a fuss they were always investigating to uh, no hand. During the trial Andrew Watson engaged in seemingly endless theatrics in the courtroom. There were times where he would have emotional outbursts, times where he laid down on the floor. One time he refused to come out of his cell for hours until the judge finally ordered that the court officers bring him out by any means necessary. Eventually, he was carried out into the courtroom on a chair. They would have seen the complete joke that he was, you know, doing all kind of uh, shit. I don't know if you read, uh, sometime he would just lay down on the floor and, uh, you know, just just lay down uh, there and just start, you know, talking about all kind of crazy stuff that they were uh, keeping his uh, adult diapers from him and they were confiscating his notes and just, you know, anything to just make it more painful and just, I guess, to get get the attention on him, you know, and it was just all kind of crazy nonsense. At one point, uh, he refused to uh, come out of his cell. So finally, the judge told the the security guards to, uh, you know, use whatever force, but to bring him to court. But they finally, you know, I think they had to carry his uh, chair. He was on the chair and they carried the chair out. So they didn't, uh, I was hoping they would pepper spray him or something, but they didn't do it. And they just, I think they carried him on his chair and they brought him to court. But, you know, we were all waiting there for hours for this to uh, nonsense to, uh, you know, to end. Andrew Watson also pretended to be losing his physical mobility. The normally confident and strong Watson would walk into court hunched over and acting like he was a weak old man. This was not true. He also petitioned the court to give him a headset because he claimed he was having hearing difficulties. Stefan is a man who lives with permanent hearing difficulties. He expressed this to me during our interview. He knows what to look for when communicating with other people with a similar diagnosis. Here are some more of Stefan's thoughts on what he witnessed at the trial. You know, he was not uh, hearing impaired or anything, you know. Uh, uh, He never had a problem, you know, uh, because I, you know, I know what to uh, look for. And uh, when I was uh, talking to him, you know, he never uh, had any problems uh, hearing. Uh, it just came out, you know, at the 
uh, at the trial, just like you, I'll, you know, uh, and he was not weak or just like the, the way that he would uh, walk, you know, with his uh, uh, back all uh, curved, you know, uh, forward. And uh, like he was uh, 98 years old, uh, that was not the case, you know. When he was walking, he was walking quickly and uh, carrying garbage, for example, to the street. I've seen him. He never had a hard time if it was doing gardening around the house. So he was not as weak as what he was uh, portraying. And sometimes you'd see it where in court, you know, he'd be walking normally. You'd forget to, uh, you know, uh, about his uh, acting. So he'd be, uh, you know, walking uh, out norm normally. So uh, all of this was just that was just an act, you know, yeah, he was 76, but you know, in very good shape and uh, strong enough, you know. Andrew Watson was also very combative with the prosecutor and the judges. He demanded a witness or a body be presented. He truly believed that he should not be charged and convicted without a body, but the physical and blood evidence was overwhelming. Well, he was not, scoring even from the first moment you know uh he was uh not very likable you know and he was uh, always like daring the uh prosecutor just like you know if you uh, if you don't have a body you know uh he was daring uh, daring them to uh you know uh produce a uh, witness you know if you uh, if you find some uh, a witness uh, then you know uh, uh I'll take the, I'll go to jail. But so he was basically, uh, what's the word, uh, tempting the prosecutor because he felt so uh, cocky, so confident in himself because he knew that he didn't have uh, any uh, witness, I guess, that were uh, willing to uh, talk. Basically, he was uh, just tempting the uh, prosecutor with this. And even the prosecutor at one point during his uh, closing statement, he said that he basically admitted, you know, he was just uh, saying, you know, you can't find any proof. Neither the judge nor the jury was buying any of Andrew Watson's games. Andrew Watson tried to claim that Lisa's blood on his car, her blood on the shovel and at his home was the result of a gardening accident that he didn't remember the date of. Again, police found this shovel in a bucket of bleach the day after Lise was found murdered. The police, the prosecutor, and the judge did an exceptional job of finding the truth of what happened to Lise Fredette and securing a conviction. On April 20th, 2017, Andrew Watson was found guilty of the first-degree murder of Lise Fredette. In the courtroom that day, the theatrics continued. The judge gave Andrew Watson another opportunity to reveal where Lisa's body was. The judge stated, Mr. Watson, the road is now over for you. If you have a heart, sir, I would strongly suggest you speak to put closure to this so this family can lay this very kind, compassionate woman to her proper rest. Watson then responded, No thanks. The judge then responded, Regrettably, it seems to me that Mr. Watson is completely and utterly an empty vessel, concerned only with one thing, himself. The judge would then go on to describe Watson as, quote, the personification of evil. The judge then addressed Stefan and his sister Natalie and supporters of Lee's Fredette. The judge stated, it's got to be difficult to hear about how a shovel is found with your mother's blood on it, how blood is all over a car, 
and you had to hear this preposterous commentary that this came from gardening at some undefined time. Preposterous. During the judge's speech to the family, Watson removed the court's headset that helped him to hear. The judge looked at Watson and said, he doesn't care. The following Monday, Andrew Watson would be sentenced to life in prison with no possibility for parole for 25 years. While the family members were reading their victim impact statements, Andrew Watson again pulled off his hearing device and loudly stated to his lawyer, I'm not interested. I've never seen, you know, anything like this. You know, somebody with, uh, there's some bad people, but there's bad and there's horrible. And this person has no, you know, there's no, nothing low enough for him. These, uh, you know, sociopaths, you know, it's all about the control. Huh? So that's the, uh, that's the little bit of uh, control that he has. So uh, that's why he's just, uh, you know, holding on to it, you know. And I guess it means more to him because even the uh, judge, you know, at the end said, uh, you know, uh, I'll even allow you to go uh, back to your place for uh, one last time. And, you know, he was trying to uh, strike a deal kind of, you know, for him to, uh, you know, uh, give up uh, my mom's location. But he was not even interested. So and you'd think, you know, because uh, at what he was, uh, 76 at the time. Uh, you know, that he would have uh, thought, you know, maybe a little bit of liberal or freedom or something, you know, that's still better than nothing because what's good uh, for him, you know, what he's uh, doing right now, it's just, it was not helping or even maybe trying to, you know, strike some kind of a deal or something, but, you know, just pure stupidity, you know. We asked a fan to talk about the emotional impact that this trial had on him and his family. So basically, you know, you uh, when you're going through uh, this, it's just very tiring because it's uh, you know they vo- they always make sure that they don't upset him and all of this, and you uh, you get kind of pissed off because things it just drags and drags and drags. And uh, but then looking back after you uh, you tend to understand you know that they had to do this and. Uh, and it was a good a good thing so that we don't have to go through this uh, over again, hopefully, you know. Another thing that people may not know is that even after the trial ends, surviving family members still have to be traumatized by the appeal process and the probation system. Stefan is contacted regularly by Correction Services Canada and updated on Andrew Watson. You try to understand more the, the system, because, and I guess more after looking back, you know, you kind of understand, because he's right now he's trying to appeal, and I don't know how that's going, because uh, they uh, inform me uh, of, you know, if he uh, goes for medical visits, you know, because sometimes you have to take him to the uh, Kingston uh, Hospital, and so they'll call me while he's going to be absent between you know, that time and uh, on that day and that time. And they, uh, they always have a couple uh, security guard with them. So, and sometimes they, uh, they call me to let me know that, you know, uh, at least a while back, you know, that it was uh, court um, uh, court hearings. So, uh, and I know that he was uh, trying to appeal. So, but I don't know how that's going. You know, if it's, I'm guessing it's still, uh, he's still trying to appeal. 
but it's just a long process, and my guess is that he's not going to be successful. Stefan spoke with us about how betrayed he felt by Andrew Watson. Stefan had been kind to Andrew, and then, in return, Andrew destroyed Stefan's family. What I thought I knew about him was just uh, acting also. You know, he never gave a damn. And that's something, you know, I always felt bad for him because I knew that he was alone and I've always been afraid, you know. I never wanted to, uh, uh, you know, end up, you know, uh, getting old and uh, and alone. And, uh, and, you know, that's exactly what he ended up doing. So... Uh, you know, now I'm alone and, you know, I had my parents, I, I had my, you know, I've lost my, uh, my aunt first and then the following year it was my, both my, well, my grandfather first and then a month later it was my grandma. And then a few years later it was my mom and then the year, year and a half after it was my dad. So within just a few years I ended up losing all the people that uh, I loved and that cared for me. And, uh, and I was worried about him. I didn't want him to, uh, you know, be by himself, and so I wanted to include him in my family, and he ended up destroying everything. And uh, well, my parents, you know, that uh, we were very close because uh, I had an accident back in '98. Well, even before we were very close, but not that, not as close as after I had my accident. You know, uh, we. Uh, we got much closer, and uh, I would pe- speak with my father and my mom uh, every single night, at least once uh, once a day. I we'd be talking with my dad quite often. We'd call each other a couple times a day, just talk for a few minutes, and uh, you know, uh, chit chat. And uh, so that was pretty hard when I ended up losing my parents, uh, you know, losing uh, uh, all the people that I cared so much and that cared for me. Uh, about me and uh, and then you know I end up, end up by, by myself. While Stefan received some solace in knowing that Andrew Watson was convicted and sentenced for killing his mother, his mind and his time often drift to finding his mother's body. He believes that there may be some people out there who have some information who may not have come forward. There was an odd incident that was not reported in the news. On the morning of November 13th, before anyone knew that Lise was missing, an unknown man went into the Walmart to ask if Lise was okay. Stefan believes that this man may have been in Andrew Watson's small group of friends. A couple guys that he would uh, hang out with, and uh, there's one that lived in uh, Omimi. This one is quite the piece of work, so I doubt that he would say something. But uh, see, when my mom disappeared, the, the very f- uh, first uh, morning, so on the morning of November 13, somebody came to uh, went to Walmart to check on my mom to make sure that nof- nothing happened to her at the time. And they were trying to trace. It seems like it was the guy that lived in Omimi, but... Could be somebody or somebody else also, but obviously somebody knew something because they went to Walmart on the following day to find out if my mom was. Uh, they were concerned about my mom, so they were already aware that something possibly could have went uh, uh, bad. You know, the following night, the uh, cops tried to uh, show me. Well, they showed me. Uh, uh, still of a person walking out of the uh, of Walmart, but you couldn't see the face. You could see just the uh, like the back, because as they're walking, they just look back, and uh, 
they were looking at, uh, I guess, uh, uh, not a cashier, uh, a greeter or someone. So you can see, uh, and it was grainy. So I could make, and I don't know the, this uh, guy, uh, uh, I know his name, but uh, I don't know his, uh, I've never uh, saw him in person, you know. And uh, so I've been told that it might be this guy, but it could be somebody else also. So uh, we don't know for sure. But apparently there was somebody that was uh, concerned on that morning about my mom. So I, I know there's somebody else that has to know something about this. Stefan hopes that if anyone knows something about his mother's whereabouts, that they come forward to help bring this family a semblance of closure. During Andrew Watson's trial and incarceration, he began sending letters to an old friend in Scotland. In these letters, Andrew Watson complained about the Canadian justice system, the prison system, and claimed that he was wrongfully convicted and being treated unfairly. This prompted his friend, Jimmy Lang, to write a book about Watson titled Rough Justice in Ontario. In the book, the author claims that Watson was beaten in prison and that his trial was unfair due to it being too long. So it's important here to remember two counterpoints. First off, if Watson was beaten in prison, it's important to remember that prison is not meant to be a nice place. And second, if Watson's trial took too long, it was because of all the delays that Watson himself created. People online who have read the book wonder how Watson was convicted without a body. Well, in Canada, you do not need a body for a murder conviction. Also, the criminal stalking charges, coupled with the blood evidence, was enough to convict Watson. No body was needed. Andrew Watson is a murderer. In our interview, Stefan expressed a lot of gratitude to his friends who supported him through this whole process and to the community who helped search for his mom. We know that many of our listeners will hopefully never know the pain of losing a loved one to murder. We asked Stefan to tell us what it's like to not be able to bring his mother's remains home and what feelings he deals with in the aftermath of his mother's murder. That's the worst possible feeling that you can ever imagine. There's not a single day that I don't think about this, you know, and that's just, you can't, you can't blank it out. It's always there. Whatever happens, you're thinking about something or, you know, and it's always, you know, connecting, oh, well, my mom was sad there and uh, back then, you know, and so you're always, even though you try to, uh, avoid thinking about it that's just something that's just natural it just comes right back and you've got all these memories and like i said you know the uh the feeling that that uh you you feel like such a failure that i was not able to protect my mom even though i was uh, telling her you know be uh careful always you know Make sure that he's not around the car before you uh, get out. And uh, but you know, um, there's just so much you uh, you can do, I guess. But it's just it never goes away that feeling. You know, uh, if I would have done something a little bit differently, because even though uh, just my mom's uh, birthday was on the uh, October 10th, and so I went down. Um, the weekend after 
or uh, you know a couple of weeks after we finally had to we uh, we decided we'd go to a restaurant and uh, and so on so uh, I uh, went to uh, Peterborough and when I was there uh, on the Sunday morning he ended up knocking on the door or was it on the yeah I guess it was on the Sunday morning and just saying that he would drive uh, on River Road and because he was not supposed to but it, just to uh, come and say you know that he would be on River Road because he had met somebody else and, uh, you know, on his way. So not to call the, uh, the police that if, uh, if we'd see the car, which made absolutely no goddamn sense because he was in the fucking driveway, you know, coming to say, don't call the cops. If I drive by, that made no sense. So obviously he was just trying to make me, uh, believe that he had moved on or something. And, uh, so my mom got upset at uh, that time, and I went, you know, I walked outside, I went to his uh, car and tried to tell him to, uh, you know, stop bothering my mom, you know. And, fuck, I can't tell you how many times I wish I would have pulled him out of the fucking car and lay a goddamn beating into him, you know. And, uh, but who beats up a 76 or 78-year-old, you know. Uh, I'm not going to go to jail for, for uh, something like this, but if uh, that would have saved my mom, I would have gladly done it. And see, that's the kind of stuff that just keeps coming back, running into your mind, you know, over and over again, thinking that that time, you know, I should have been smart enough to realize, you know, he was showing up at my mom's place to say that, not to call the cops if he was driving on the street, uh, which made no goddamn sense at all, but you know, you just try to excuse, you know, you I just, you never think that people would be, you know, uh, attacking a 74-year-old woman and killing her over something stupid like this. People fall in love and fall out of love all the time. And it's just move on. There's more than one fish in the sea. And uh, you never expect this. And But it just, uh, it just happened, you know. For Stefan and many men around the world, the horrific realities of intimate partner violence against women have come sharply into focus. And you never expect, I never expected, I I was never uh, aware that there was so much violence against uh, domestic violence and violence against women. Well, I've never been, you know, growing up, I've never seen violence, you know, uh, like this, you know, uh, uh, women uh, getting beat up and murdered and all that craziness. So, you know, when this happened to my mom, that's, you know, when I found out that it was such a, a big problem here in uh, in Canada. And it's usually always somebody uh, close uh, close to them. And don't think that you bother anyone because the, the, the work that you do right now is so important that you're bringing some attention and making people aware and hopefully we can eradicate this kind of you know craziness you know people attacking women for stupid reason like this and ending their lives and destroying not only well they destroy their own life you know but they they destroy the woman's life but the, the that guy destroy his own life and then all the families that are involved, all the, uh, you know, everybody is uh, suffering over something that could have been avoided so easily. So the work that you do is so important to bring this to uh, uh, people's attention and, you know, 
sensitizing people to this kind of, uh, of uh, issue is the best way to uh, combat it, to, uh, to uh, you know, inform people and get them to do the, uh, make the, the, the right decision and uh, seek help if that's what they need, right? While the physical searches for Lee's for Debt have wound down, we asked Stefan if there's anything else our listeners can do to help in his mother's case. You know, uh, if they know of something to not be shy, not be, uh, you know, to do the right thing and just, you know, be anonymous, just come out and, you know, whatever piece of information they may have, you know, uh, anything could help at this point, you know. And if they can, you know, provide you with the information and you can relay me, uh, relay the information, if they feel more comfortable to uh, go to the, the police, but they, if they feel more comfortable to just come to you and maybe there's something that we can do with the information, you know, to make sure that it gets investigated uh, properly, you know. Because mm. I can't imagine that this guy did not, you know, slip or say something. We asked Stefan if there was anything else that he wanted our listeners to know about his mom. Well, she would be doing the same thing if it would be anybody. She would certainly, uh, you know, do everything that she could to help uh, with, that investi- uh, with that investigation and make sure that we can, you know, give her a proper burial. And, uh, you know, just, uh, just right now, God knows she, she's... She could be in a ditch or she could be in a swamp, you know, just to give her some dignity and some peace, you know, just to bring her home and be able to give her uh, the proper respect, you know, the respect that she deserves. And if somebody can find it in in their heart to uh, do the right thing and just provide that bit of information and, you know, I'm not going to try to find out who they are, I I don't care. I just want to get my mom's back, and that's all. And just be able to, uh, you know, put her in, in a in the in the in the proper place, and just know that she's not, you know, in, in the field or in a swamp somewhere. There is a Facebook page called "The Search for Lees for Debt." We will link that in our show notes and share it to our Facebook page. In this case, it is clear that Lise Verdet and her family did everything right. She made clear boundaries with Andrew Watson. She eventually went to the police. The police told Andrew Watson to leave her alone. She had a safety plan. She had friends and family looking out for her. But still, Andrew Watson murdered her. In the courtroom, Watson further traumatized Lise's family and friends by engaging in theatrics designed to hurt everyone around him. Ultimately, Andrew Watson's final disgraceful action was to not reveal where Lee's Verdette's body is hidden. He is truly the personification of evil, and our society is better without him. We do hold out hope, though, that one day Andrew Watson does the right thing. We ask that our listeners support Stefan and his family in any way you can. If you are in the Peterborough area and are walking or hiking in rural areas, Please keep your eyes open to your surroundings. Lee's Fredette is out there somewhere and she needs to come home. If you or someone you know is a victim of intimate partner violence, we ask that you connect with services in your area. 
This was a very emotional episode to put together, and we are so very grateful to Stéphane Leclerc for his very raw and honest interview. We are grateful that you trusted us with your family's story. Stéphane made a point of highlighting his gratitude towards the officers, the prosecutors, the judges, and the journalists, and those who worked in victim services who helped his family through. We also want to thank our listener, who is a friend of Stéphane's. She helped to bring this story to our attention and connect us with Stefan. Our hearts go out to Natalie, Stefan, and everyone who was affected by this crime. Our producers on the podcast are Amy's Book Reviews, Thomas E., Susan S., Alex and Andrea P., Kennedy, Alberta, Cindy McD., Blair M., Alyssa S., CJ Jeze, Anastasia, Ariel E., Melanie E., Kelly D., Carolyn M., Emily L., Jason D., Jimmy H., Tiffany C., Keith R., Mari M., Lorena, Queen Nebula, Maureen, Jesse D.R., and the Missing and Unexplained podcast. We will be back soon with a new episode, so until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.